I want to make this clear. It's not a small thing to leave a faith tradition. It is a huge decision because I owe so much, we both do, Mm -hmm. to the Church of the Nazarene. Welcome to the Millennial Pastor Podcast. I'm your guest host, Britt Bowlerjack, and for the next few months, we're going to be interviewing millennial pastors who have transitioned out of the Church of the Nazarene. It is my hope and prayer that these stories will be um, the catalyst for beautiful conversations to come about who we are and where we're going and how we can better embody who God is calling us to be. You're not alone. You know, there are so, so, so many of us who are asking questions and trying to figure out what a wholehearted life uh, means. One of my first things is like, if you can stay, you should stay. But I would say if you're going to stay, you have to do the work. That's really all that matters at the end of the day, because it's all about faithful ministry. Hey, friend, I wanted to pause here for a moment and add a couple of production notes before we get started. For context, all of these interviews were recorded between November 2021 and February of 2022. I asked everyone I could think of and several friends of friends as well. And for every person that said yes to an interview, at least one other said no. At the end of this period, I had a wide range of interviews of millennial colleagues who'd left the Church of the Nazarene anywhere from 2010 all the way till 2021. When I started the project, I assumed I would release them in the order I was recording. That way you could hear the evolution of how I approached the project throughout the season. You would have noticed that I became more apologetic, but also more bold to ask some awkward questions. As time went on, though, I realized it would make way more sense for us to listen to these interviews in the order that each pastor left. There's an evolution to be heard here as the current events of each time move towards the present. But more on that in the conclusion episode at the end of this season. And finally, I want you to know, I'm not a professional podcaster. These episodes were recorded in my spare time, often late at night, often with borrowed equipment I wasn't 100% sure how to use, and all of them were recorded over Zoom. (laughs) All that to say, the sound isn't perfect, but neither am I. So please, treat sound issues with grace, and hopefully they won't be too distracting from the stories. I hope you can tell that many of these episodes were sacred space for me, and I hope they will be for you as well. All right, that's enough context. On to the interviews. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Britt Bullerjack, and I'm here with my guest, Rick Shul. Did I say that right? Hey, Shul. how's it going? Yeah, Shul. <laughs> yep, you got it. He's the lead pastor at Christ United Methodist Church in Portland, Oregon. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. Um, so I wanted to kind of start from the very beginning and ask you, how did you end up in the Church of the Nazarene? Yeah, I um, I grew up in the Church of the Nazarene. My, uh, I grew up in Colorado Springs. My parents uh, were in the military. My dad was in the military. My mother is Korean. And while they were traveling in the military, uh, before I was born or while my mom was pregnant with me, my mom had a big conversion to Christianity, mm-hmm. uh, really through like Pentecostal movements and things of that nature. And so she was attending a lot of uh, Korean churches and Korean Bible studies in our homes growing up, I remember. And after I was born, uh, my mom asked me asked, or asked my dad to find an English speaking church. And my dad grew up in Ohio and had attended a Nazarene church when he was young. Oh, wow. And there was a Nazarene church down the street from our house. Mm. And so he chose that one. And 
then that's how I was raised, you know, I was by the skin of my teeth. I was raised in the church and, um, yeah. So kind of, kind of going from there, like, tell me how you, how you ended up being a pastor. Tell me about your call to ministry. Yeah. Um, you know, I, my, I, I have a moment. Um, I was probably, uh, 12 or 13 and I was at church of the Nazarene and we had bounced around between a couple of pastors and uh, we were without a pastor for probably nine months. Mm. And I was a young teenager and I was, um, I was really sad. I saw other families slip away. I saw some of my good friends leave the church and, and go other places. And, and I remember, um, we would always have on Sunday mornings, we'd have an altar praying time and anybody could come down to the altar and kneel and pray Mm -hmm. for anything. Um, And so I went down and I prayed and I, I kept asking God, um, send us a pastor, send us a pastor. Um, I was really feeling sad that my church was kind of falling apart. Mm -hmm. And I remember in that prayer, hearing the words, well, who shall I send and who will go for us? And I was just like, and anybody who hears those words, you, you know, the answer, you know, the response. Yeah. And um, so maybe at the age of 12 or 13, I was like, oh, am I supposed to be the pastor of this church? No, <laughs> but, but I did feel that call like, well, here I am, Lord, send me. Yeah. And as an early youth, um, feeling like, okay, I need to explore, is God calling me to the ministry? And mm-hmm. We were near the Bible college, and so um, there were Bible college students that were at our church um, that I could talk to about this, mm-hmm. and um, and yeah, I started fostering this call to ministry and knowing that I needed to love the scriptures and love people. Mm-hmm. Um, that really kind of directed my life in my teenage years mm-hmm. and then on through college, and I kind of, I never looked back. I, I was dedicated and focused to the ministry from that time on. Oh, well, tell me about the journey. Where, where did you go from there? Yeah. Um, so I, one of the things I loved about church in Nazarene was just the connection between churches and camp. Um, you know, mm-hmm. church camp was a big thing. Sure. Gold, golden bell was our camp mm. in Colorado. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. You know what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, that was, that was a great place. Uh, a lot of wonderful memories. Um, mm. And that's how I made friends with uh, the youth ministry and the youth pastor at Church of Nazarene. And so I started attending youth group there and that youth group really became a home for me first. Mm. And then I pulled my parents along and, um, and that's where I continued to explore uh, and grow in my call for ministry, very involved in youth ministry there. Um, and then from there on, like, I didn't have like a lot of hard decisions. It was kind of like, I was just on the railroad tracks for ministry and, and Colorado was in the Northwest Mm -hmm. uh, region. And Mm -hmm. so I knew where I was going to college. I, I think I applied to Point Loma and Mid-America, but I knew I was going to Northwest. Um, and cause I also loved I love the traveling music groups that came to camp and I mm. got to know them and, and like, I, it was just natural for me to go there. 
had I visited Point Loma, I probably would have gone there because <laughs> I didn't realize <laughs> how gorgeous that place is. Sure. And um, yeah. as much as I love, as much as I love NNU, uh, Nampa, Idaho is not as scenic. Um, <laughs> any case, went to NNU, um, majored in philosophy and religion, mm-hmm. and minored in biblical languages. Um, in that first year, um, talked about preparation for uh, ministry, mm-hmm. and and talked about seminary, mm-hmm. and in that first semester of my freshman year, I realized, you know, I was young for my class also, that I was going to be graduating at 21 with all the necessary education for the rest of ministry. Like mm. it, it felt insane. Mm. Um, and like, it just made that absolute most sense for me to commit then and there to going to seminary. Wow. So I so I changed my major to philosophy and religion, which okay. did not cover, it, it did not cover, um, what's it called? The, the it ordination cor- track? Or cor- the, yeah, the course of study. Course of study, I, yeah, the, the I credits for what, ordination. I yeah, don't speak yeah, yeah, educational yeah. <laughs> requirements, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't fulfill that, but then I could, I could do a minor in biblical languages. I could take classes that I was a little bit more interested in. I took a lot more art classes as well. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I knew I was going to seminary. And so after NNU, um, I stayed in the Boise area for one more year. Cause, uh, my then fiance, uh, was a year behind me. So hung out. I did youth ministry at Church of the Nazarene. Um, and then came to Kansas city in 2007 and followed seminary track there. And in 2010, I moved from Kansas City and took a job in the United Methodist Church doing youth youth ministry at Boise First United Methodist Church, so back to Idaho. So that's kind of how that all went down. Yeah. yeah. So talk to me about the, the, let's back up just a hair and tell me when, when was the first time you thought, maybe I won't end up staying in the Church of the Nazarene? I mean, it was, it was like after I had already left that I, <laughs> that I had that thought, you know, um, it was, it was tough. It was, that was a rough one for me. Um, I loved the church of Nazarene and I love, I, I never envisioned working outside the church. Um, it's, you know, I, I, I put all my eggs in that Nazarene basket all the education, um, all the commitment. I had never attended another church in another denomination. Um, I was passionate about the connection, about the ministries, the global work. Uh, there's so much good in the Church of Nazarene, which is still there. There's mm. still so much to celebrate. And I do celebrate that denomination that introduced me to Jesus and gave me my education. And um, I'm so thankful for the church of Nazarene. So as we get into the rough stuff, um, let's not forget that, that appreciation. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why, I mean, that's kind of what this podcast is about, right? Like so many people do stay. Mm-hmm, that's a beautiful mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Um, so I had always had a difficult time 
with local church boards and district boards. Um, I don't, I, I'm already starting to forget the language of like boards of ordination or something of that the nature. Boards of ministry, right? yeah. Boards of ministry. Um, I had always done really well in the educational institutions. Um, and my professors were more of a pastor to me than anybody else. Mm. Um, my, my pastor growing, or my pastor, um, really wonderful man. Uh, he's since passed away. Mm. Uh, but while I was in college, he suggested that I move my membership and to a church that I was attending which I didn't know wasn't the norm. I think you're supposed to, while you're in college, keep your membership and keep your um, local license going through the church that more or less is sponsoring you through college kind of. Oh yeah. It, rather than the, like the church that you're at during college. I, I think people yeah. probably do it either way. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so in a weird way, they let me go and I wasn't, that, that, that felt strange. Mm. Um, and so the next Nazarene church that I started at, I needed to start over with a local ministry license before oh, I could go I into see. a district. Yeah. Okay. So that was, that was a little interesting. Mm. And, and, uh, so I did, you know, and I started my district license in the Intermountain district in Idaho. Um, mm -hmm. and then when we went to Kansas city, I worked at a Nazarene church first and that's where I was having my membership. And then I got really excited after a year, after a year, um, that position closed and um, I got really excited about church planting mm -hmm. and I joined a small church plant and moved my membership to that church plant okay. while my district license was in Intermountain District. And so really, I mean, we're getting kind of, we're getting really nitty gritty into the Nazarene talk, right? No, this so, is great. I, this is what I'm here for. So yeah. So my, my local membership was in a church plant or a church start. Mm -hmm. And um, my district license was in a different district far away. Mm -hmm. And while I'm in school, people are turning over so that nobody knows who I am. Oh, no. um, and then uh I'm looking for a job just for money for income. Yeah. I was working at a coffee shop at that time right. and a local Episcopal church needed a youth director mm -hmm. and, it, and it was a full-time job mm -hmm. and I was still in seminary mm -hmm. and I applied, they interviewed me and it was a great fit. I loved it. So then I started working at this Episcopal church doing youth ministry and I kept my Nazarene local license at that new start mm. and my district license in Idaho mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm trying to communicate with the people in Idaho about getting a special assignment yeah at at the Episcopal church right yes that communication is not going so well oh. they don't know me mm. meanwhile the new start uh where your membership it, is where my membership is it folds and oh. so there's no longer that new start mm. and so now I don't have a membership in a local church and my district license is far away mm. and I'm trying to finish seminary right 
through all this time, I didn't have a local church that was mine mm-hmm. through, through undergrad or through seminary. Um, I didn't have like a home base. Yeah. And, and so I feel like I didn't have, I didn't have people in my corner. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. As I'm going through the process to kind of advocate for you and who you are and your character. And yeah. 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 So every interview I had, it was like starting at square one. Mm. And, um, and so I'm keeping my district license alive kind of barely. Mm. <laughs> Did you ever get a special assignment? Did it work out? Um, no, okay. it didn't work out. And, and uh, so I'm working on an Episcopal church. My membership is, you know, and that new start was, it was branched out of another Nazarene church in mm-hmm. the Kansas city area. Mm-hmm. So technically my membership was actually at that church. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that church never knew me. And I didn't even know the pastor at that church. Um, you probably maybe never even been to that church. I never been to that church. Got it. Okay. Um, so it's real convoluted. So I'm working at, uh, I'm working on an Episcopal church. And I'm doing interviews in the Kansas City District to keep my license in the Intermountain District. Mm. It, it, it's really strange here. Yeah. But this is where things got really kind of rough. Um, during that interview, they they said we're going to test your biblical theology, and I was like, yes please. Uh, Biblical languages was my minor. When I was Mm -hmm. in seminary, I was like, I'm going to focus in on New Testament. I'm going to focus in on Greek. And I was just like, this is what I can do. I love the Bible. Bring it. Like, let's, let's talk about the Bible. I love it. Um, And so I'm, I'm, I'm just really excited. Uh, They go, okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask you questions and, um, you'll, you'll tell us what the Bible says about it. I'm like, great. Question number one, healing. And I go, okay, what do you, what, like, what do you mean healing? That's not actually a question. That's not a question. (laughs) And they said, well, um, and they like looked at each other with like disapproving looks and it was really strange. And I was Mm. like, something else is being tested here. Mm -hmm. Not me. Mm. And they go, well, imagine, imagine an older woman in your church. It's always an older woman, right? Um, comes to you and says, pastor, where in the Bible does it say to pray for healing? I was like, oh yeah, John, cha- or, uh, I said, I said, James chapter five. Mm. And they're like, and what does it say? And I go, oh, if anybody needs healing, they should come to the elders and ask for laying on of hands and pray for healing. I said it like that. I paraphrased mm-hmm. and they're like, can you quote it? And I was like, I was like, and at that time, um, at that time I was only reading the Bible in Greek. Well, the new Testament in Greek. Mm -hmm. Um, I did not have the NIV memorized. Mm. I said, no, but I know it's, I know right where it is. And, um, and they're, and they looked at each other with disapproving looks again. And then they Mm -hmm. said, okay, not James chapter five, try something else. And I knew exactly what they were trying to ask me to do at this point. They wanted to throw out a word and they wanted me to quote a Bible verse out of the NIV with reference Mm. on that word, right? Mm. 
And I was like, this is ridiculous. Um, but I tried my best and I, I said, well, John chapter five, there's the man at the pool of Bethesda and, and Jesus comes to him and, so, and says, do you want to be well? Again, I paraphrase because I don't have it memorized in, sure. in the NIV. And I could tell that they're not happy with this. Um, you know, and I, I could go to John chapter nine. I could do, like, we could do this. And so they look at each other and they say, okay, uh, not James and none of Jesus's healings. What else? And in my brain, I'm like, in what universe would somebody come to the pastor and say, pastor, um, where in the Bible does it say to pray for healing, but not in James and not in any of Jesus's healings? Yeah, and, you, and you can't, and you can't have your Bible. You need to have this all memorized. Word and for I, word. Word for word. Word for word. And I, I, I know what they're asking. And I say to them, I can't do what you're asking. Yeah. And they look at each other disapprovingly. And one of them quotes Isaiah and says, by his stripes, we are healed. And like, now I'm starting to get angry. Because in what universe, again, would you say to a woman asking the pastor where in the Bible doesn't say you can pray for healing, would you quote Isaiah by his stripes, we are healed. Mm. And I'm just so angry because mm. they're not, again, they're not testing me. Right. They're testing Nazarene theological seminary. They're testing Northwest Nazarene university. They're testing mm. they, they were waging, they were caught up in that fight yeah. against all the Nazarene institutions. Mm. And um, so they did it again with the word glory, and they did it again with another word that I can't remember now. But I, I just kind of sat there and kind of took my lumps, and I didn't want to fight back. I didn't yeah. want to get angry. Right. I've always wanted to submit to the church. I've never mm. thought of myself in any sort of like rebel way like that. Mm. Um, but after I could not do what they were asking with healing and glory, and another word I can't remember, um, they had told, then they launched into a lecture about how my education has not brought, brought me one step closer to being a pastor uh -huh. and that I've wasted my time mm. in Nazarene educational institutions. Uh. And I was just so angry, angry and disappointed and hurt. Mm. Uh, because I, I've, I never stopped being that, that boy at the altar that says, mm -hmm. here I am, Lord, send me. I, I've only ever thought I was doing the right steps. Mm -hmm. I was always trying. Yeah. And my, my, um, my professors were my pastors. They were the ones that were the closest to me. And uh, boy, I, like just when I went through hard times in undergrad, it was always my professors. It was mm -hmm. who brought me into her home and like cared for me. Um, and she was one of the closest pastors I ever had. And um, she did our premarital counseling and she like still checks on us. And it's these wonderful people who absolutely are everything I think about when what a pastor should be. And they were constantly under attack by people in the Church of the Nazarene for being, I don't even know what, too liberal. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, and so in that interview, I felt I was 
being lined up on the side with the educational institutions and being shot at. Mm. And like, that wasn't when I decided I'm, I'm out, but that was definitely one of those moments where like, how can I be in, yeah. you know? Um, so that summer I moved to Boise. I took a ministry position at uh, Boise First United Methodist Church as the youth pastor mm. or youth minister. Um, again, I continued to appeal to Intermountain District to be placed on special assignment. Yeah. I didn't know what my future was in the Church of Nazarene, mm. but I didn't want to give up my my district license. I didn't yeah. want to give up that relationship. Yeah. Um, but I didn't hear anything back from them. Mm. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it was, yeah. It, it, and then that fall is when I had Thanksgiving dinner with some of my good friends from seminary. Um, and we broached that conversation, that topic that I don't think I'll be in the church of the Nazarene anymore. Mm-hmm. And that was tough. So yeah. that's how that all went down. Hmm. <sighs> Well, um, wow. First of all, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, tell me about the, did you go through a sense of grief or loss? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I remember even, you know, at that Thanksgiving dinner with those friends who I still love and we still see each other a, a little bit. We, during seminary, we had these Thanksgiving dinners together with just friends because it was too much to go home for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And so mm-hmm. these friends, um, we had Thanksgiving together every year. And I think for like five years after seminary, we like flew, flew to each other's homes Aww. and um, and saw each other. And it was, you know, we started having kids and we, we got to see each other's kids. Um, but yeah. Uh, that grieving process was tough. It, mm. it was tough because, I mean, yeah, they, Church of Nazarene was my family and um, I, I so valued and loved the connection across the country. And I felt like I could step into any Nazarene church anywhere and like be with my family, you know? Yeah. Um, but there was such a sense of pain that there, it was in the midst of all that, like, I don't even know if it's still going on, like the concerned Nazarenes or whatever. And sure. they were always, they were like watchdogs on certain professors that they say something that's not quite right or something. Mm. Um, it was in the midst of all that kind of fighting that I, I knew what side I lined up on, mm. although it didn't, there didn't need to be sides. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I was on the side that was, uh, being hunted mm. in a way and I I couldn't continue to be a part of that and it was so mm. painful it was so hard and I didn't have deep roots in the church of Nazarene my parents weren't Nazarene my grandparents weren't Nazarene um, that's an interesting thing I remember going to camp and seeing everybody in like fourth generation Nazarene or whatever and like and people had deep roots in the church of the Nazarene. Mm. I never had that. Mm. And then I didn't have a deep connection to a particular local church or a particular local pastor. Mm. And 
And had I had some of those things, I think things could have been different um, if I had a deeper history. Mm. Um, but I felt, uh, you know, being first generation Nazarene and not having a, a real tight connection to a local church, um, there wasn't a whole lot to hold on to yeah. when I felt the church was pushing me out. Mm. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, tell me about the, the process. Um, so I'm assuming you don't transfer in a district license. So are you starting from scratch or how, how did that work for you? Yeah, that's the toughest part also. Had I been fully ordained in the Church of Nazarene, um, there, was, there would be possibilities for transferring things over. Mm. Um, but because I wasn't fully ordained, I did start from scratch. Mm. And the Nazarene Theological Seminary does not fulfill the education requirements for the United Methodist Church. Mm. So I went, so I went back to seminary um, oh, wow. and we worked out a deal where um, I, I only needed to do half the credits for uh, an MDiv. Mm -hmm. So they only needed 45 more credits. And so that's still I, a lot. <laughs> So I started a demon at um, St. Paul School of Theology in Kansas City to fulfill these credits. And so I did that. I did another degree, uh, although I didn't finish it because uh, we had a family emergency. Mm. And, um, and so I actually went back to the United Methodist Board of Ordained Ministry and said, look, I've been in the system for 10 years. Um, you know all my education. You know all my experience. If you want me to finish this doctor of ministry, I will. It'll be a couple more years because my family needs my care. Or you can wave your hand and say, consider my education fulfilled and we can move forward. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm so thankful that they decided, yes, we, mm. we know you, your education requirements are fulfilled. Mm. And so I was fully ordained. Uh, I was, I was um, approved to be ordained in February of 2020. Mm. and then oh no <laughs> oh no <laughs> and then all the ordination services were postponed a year and sure. so I was I was voted in as a full elder over zoom and then oh. this past summer we had the ordination nice. uh service so yeah 10 years process in mm. the church of Nazarene or in the United Methodist Church mm -hmm. um because I had to redo some education because I had to take a little bit more time, but yeah, I started from scratch and 10 years is way longer than it normally is even in the United Methodist church mm. to do that whole process. But I took my time in education. And uh, meanwhile, I was able to uh, pastor. I, I did youth ministry at Boise first for mm. three years. Then I did the lead pastor job at a church in Idaho Falls mm. for four years, and I was appointed to this church in 2017. Um, and so my credential problems in the UMC has not been a factor in um, my ministry and my work, and we've been able to push forward and keep keep doing God's work through these churches. And so, cool. Yeah. Um, can I uh, poke around a little bit? Uh, yeah in here and ask you what are your i'm assuming there's some kind of interview process mm -hmm. similar to yeah. the church of the nazarene yeah mm -hmm. um so i would love to kind of 
compare and contrast what those yeah. interviews have been like for you in the mm-hmm. United Methodist Church? Oh, man, that's great. Um, yeah, so it's different in different conferences. Okay. So the United Methodist Church is, is broken into what's called annual conferences, mm-hmm. which are the same size and function pretty similar to districts sure. in, the, in the Nazarene Church. Okay. So different conferences have a little bit more autonomy on how they do their um, interviews and their mm-hmm. process. And in this conference, which is Oregon, Idaho, um, we do a retreat. We do like three days of interviews every year. (laughs) And so when you're in the process, once you, your, your first level, I guess you could say is, um, oh, is to become a provisional elder. So that would be the same level as a district license, I would say. So it is, and the process is pretty rigorous. Um, you're probably writing 20 to 50 pages of work um, where you're answering questions written. Mm-hmm. So you're doing a lot of theological stuff. You're doing a lot of personal stuff as well. Mm. This a is like of, before the retreat, like? Before the retreat, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're doing a lot of self-examination. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to uh, take a psychological exam, which was for me, it was 800 questions. And then you meet with a psychologist to go over and go over any like red flags that you kind of need to see in your person. So there's like Mm -hmm. this deep psychological exam. This is after you finish seminary. Um, So it's pretty rigorous. Then there's, um, you have to submit videos of you leading a worship service and preaching and things like that. Then when you're in the interview process, over the weekend, they ask you questions about theology. They ask you questions about personal health and well-being, mm-hmm. and ask you questions of practical ministry, and and it's also done in the context of worship. Mm-hmm. So there's times for worshiping together, and then there's times to go into these uh, pretty intense interviews. So that's an intense interview to be a provisional elder, which is like kind of district license, um, and then after you've been a provisional elder for at least two or three years Mm. and no more than six years, you'll do your, your, um, major interview to be fully ordained. And it's a similar situation again. Mm. Uh, in the years in between you have, um, Oh, I don't even remember. Do I do, did we do interviews or do we do just written work i think we just did written work in the in the years in between so you don't so, do the whole paper retreat thing every year mm-mm, no okay, okay. that's um, just the first one that's well the first one you're, you're writing a lot mm. and then um you're writing a, a lot again for your second big one for for ordination mm. and in the years in between you're also writing and submitting videos so nice <laughs> yeah there's a lot there is a lot and so while you're a provisional elder, you do have to, you do have to write and answer questions quite a bit. And you might have to, I can't remember if you do annual interviews, maybe. Mm. That's so strange that I can't remember. It's only been a couple of years, but there you go. There's yeah. been a whole pandemic since then. So it's been, you know, it's been wild. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's after the education requirements go through. Yeah. yeah. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Well, um, 
congratulate i mean do you congratulate people on on sure i mean yeah yeah, sure congratulations (laughs) um i appreciate it tell me okay so kind of reflecting back um tell me from your perspective how we we i guess being the church of the nazarene could have made a more hospitable place for your for your ministry in our denomination yeah you know i don't know if there, I, I think I think my story is unique. I don't think it's normative for everyone. I think that had a few things been different, we would there would be different outcomes, and I would mm-hmm. still be in the Church of Nazarene. Um, I think that had I, well, it's rough, but I didn't have deep roots. I didn't have a deep family in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I didn't have any extended family in the church that cared what denomination I was a part of. Mm. Um, I, nobody was hurt or sad in my blood family that I was going. So that's one thing. Um, mm. And I didn't have a, a close connection to a local congregation. My closest spiritual connections were with professors, and which I valued. I mean, I needed that. Mm. And thank God they were in my life. Yeah. Uh, at those times, but I didn't have a, a close connection with a particular local church mm-hmm. um, over a long period of time. Yeah. I think that would have changed a few things. I think that the, the biggest problem, and I assume it's an ongoing problem, it feels like there's this war between local church boards and educational institutions. Mm-hmm. That's got to stop. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't know how else to say it, but like, the professors and the people at the seminary, um, they're doing incredible work and creating pastors who can think well. And that's so necessary. And to to kind of break that down to liberal versus conservative is silly. It's ridiculous. That's not mm-hmm. what's happening. I think of I think of like friends that went to state schools. They went to state colleges where it wasn't a safe place to explore their faith or challenge their thinking that they grew up with. Mm. All they did in their state schools were defend their third grade Sunday school theology. And they defended it fiercely. Mm. And when they came out of, of college, they still have this theology Mm. and like that third grade Sunday school theology, it's necessary, I think, for like I needed that when I was in third grade, but I didn't need that when I was 25. Mm-hmm. Um, I needed to go through a time of working out my faith as yeah. an adult. Sure. And I think that that's what all the educational institute, all of the Nazarene schools do. Mm-hmm. They create this place that's filled with worship and filled with good people so that people, these young adults, can examine and rework their third grade theology mm. into a into a more mature theology. And I think that the pastors that they turn out are pastors that are good thinkers. Mm. I don't think that it's a liberal conservative thing. I think it's people that have been able to engage their faith in a deeper, more meaningful way. And those are the kind of pastors I want in my churches, Yeah. right? So I think the whole attack on educational institutions is is more than silly it is it is um 
It's self-defeating. Mm-hmm. It is destructive. Yeah. And so that's got to stop. I, I, I don't know. If that wasn't going on, then I would probably still be in the Church of the Nazarene. Mm. So I think there's some things that are personal for me. You know, had I, I don't know what I could have done to work harder to be part of a local church a little bit more strongly. I don't know. Mm. Um, A lot of my friends that stayed through all the struggles, and I assume that my, my friends that went through seminary had similar interview processes and similar difficulties. Mm. Uh, they stayed. And I think a big reason why they stayed is they had uh, deeper connections, family connections, or a deep connection to a particular church and things like that. Yeah. Um, and, and they're just, they're wonderful. That's wonderful for them. Mm. I didn't, I didn't have that. And, and at a certain point I lost, I lost the, the uh, the feeling of being compelled to stay and work in the Church of Nazarene. I didn't have it wasn't compelling to me to keep fighting that fight. Mm. so I left. Yeah. yeah. Um, what words of wisdom or encouragement would you have for the like millennial pastors who are still part of the Church of the Nazarene? Yeah. Um, man, there's so there are some beautiful things in the Church of Nazarene. There are some things that uh, make it worthwhile. Like, and I think the connection—that's uh, a beautiful thing. Keeping churches accountable. I think that the Church of Nazarene will uh, go the distance as as you keep having those accountability um, between churches. Mm-hmm. I think you got to sort out this education thing. Um, I don't know what's happened in the last decade, mm-hmm. but. There needs to be more trust built between educational institutions and local churches. Um, But for young people, you're called to make disciples of Jesus Christ. You're not called to make Nazarenes. Mm. You're not called to make Methodists. You're called God. I mean, I don't see, I don't see these churches as rivals. Um, I think that they're part of the bigger family. I think that that's part of our theology. Mm. Um, it's the same theology. It's Wesleyan theology that understands that God is working through other communities and other yeah. churches. Mm. And that's a beautiful thing. I think that uh, the Church of Nazarene's emphasis on sanctification and, and Holy Spirit and, um, and that the Holy Spirit moves us to make things right in the world mm. here and now that's, that's something to hold on to. Um, and just continue. I mean, God, God is obviously working through the church of Nazarene. Um, if that's where God has called you look also like the grass is not greener on the other side. Like the United Methodist church is not, (laughs) we've got our, we've got our own battles. We've got our own struggles. And so you're choosing your family. Mm. But in my case, I chose, I, I, chose this family and when you choose a family you're also choosing their struggles you're choosing their baggage you're choosing all the difficulties that come with that family Mm -hmm. so there's no like it's not like the umc is better than the than the nazarene church but this is the family that i've chosen and -hmm. i've chosen their problems and their difficulties they're now my my problems and my Mm -hmm. difficulties Mm -hmm. and i'm okay with that yeah and so if you can be a part of the church of nazarene be honest about its struggles and its problems and its baggage. Mm. And you're taking that on and making it your own. Yeah. Um, at a certain point in my life, I was no longer compelled to take on those 
problems and those struggles that the church of Nazarene was having. Mm -hmm. So whatever church you serve, you understand that you're going to be taking on those challenges Mm -hmm. and you take on that family's uh, struggles. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. That's such a good word because, um, you know, I feel like so many millennial pastors do, you know, feel compelled and called to, to stay and to know that like, there's not one right answer. Like we're all working for the same thing and there's Mm -hmm. pros and cons no matter where you go. Um, yeah. So thanks for that. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I like, I like the UN, the United Methodist Church's problems more than I like the Nazarene <laughs> problems. Like, there's still problems, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Maybe right now in my life, I just like these problems, um, and they are problems. But mm. um, these are these are families of yeah. God, and we are one big family of God. And um, but I've I've talked with a lot a lot of Nazarene uh, friends that have called and and said like, how do I come over to the Methodist church? Mm. And, you know, they may have heard my story or they may have seen me. And so they reach out and, and like my, my, one of my first things is like, if you can stay, you should stay Mm -hmm. because it's like, I went to school again. I basically did seminary again. It was another 10 years and it's, it's not easy. Mm -hmm. And so if you can stay, stay, um, because God can use you where you're at. And mm. so, so I don't encourage people to follow my footsteps, but for those that have to, or for those that do move, um, I'm here for them as well. And so, so, yeah. Mm. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. Um, any other cool. like last thoughts, final words that you might want our listeners to, to kind of hear from you? I'm so thankful that I was raised in a church that said scripture is inerrant in all things pertaining to faith and salvation. Mm. I was never an inerrantist. I was never, or I was never a fundamentalist because I grew up in the church of the Nazarene. Mm. And, and I think the church of Nazarene, the other thing that church of Nazarene, they've always ordained women. Mm. The, you would think like United Methodist church is so much more progressive or liberal. We didn't ordain women until the fifties. So like the church of Nazarene has these roots Mm. in ministry to the homeless, in full inclusion, in honoring women. Mm. um, And like, hold on to that. And that is, that is a beautiful history. And it's so important that you keep telling that Nazarene story. And it's so important that you keep reminding Nazarenes who they really are. So Mm. do it. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. Um, Rick, thank you so much for sharing your, your story. And, um, it's been fun to kind of hear what you're doing yeah. these days. And thanks. Uh, I appreciate it's, your it, perspective. It's heartbreaking. Um, and it is hard and it was definitely hard for me, but, um, whatever I can do to share my story, to help inspire people, let yeah. people know, um, God is still working with them and using them in all these different ways. And mm. I still love my friends in the church of Nazarene. I still love that history and that movement. And I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for you. That's what you really need to hear is I'm rooting for you. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and I'm sorry that, uh, in as much as it's my room to apologize, uh, I'm sorry that you like got caught in the like crossfire of the culture wars. Um, yeah, 
that kind of collateral damage is just uh, heartbreaking. And yeah. I'm sorry that that's uh, something that you had to go through. Thank you. Thank you. I, I really appreciate that. Yeah. Mm. Well, thanks. This has been really great and I appreciate your time. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Since we love millennials so much on this podcast, we thought it would be appropriate to promote our fellow millennial authors. Here's one now. Hey there, my name is Caleb Cray Haynes, and I'm the author of the new book, Garbage Theology, The Unseen World of Waste and What It Means for the Salvation of Every Person, Every Place, and Everything. In a time when the church has been far too silent on the environmental crisis facing us all, how might we have a better grasp on what the Bible says, what the science says, and how to engage in this very Christian calling to serve and keep creation? Woven through my story of working bivocationally as a pastor and a trash hauler, Garbage Theology seeks to tackle these large questions by taking a close look at what nobody wants to see, our waste. Support this author and our podcast by clicking the link in the description. Thank you. The Millennial Pastor Podcast was created and produced by Byron Certain and Josiah Jones. This season's guest host is Britt Bullerjack. Our editor is Caden Barksdale. And original music was done by Andrew Jones. This podcast is part of the Millennial Pastor Podcasting Network. For more podcasts like it, please visit themillennialpastor.com. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you can join us on the next episode of the Millennial Pastor Podcast.